Well, good morning. Uh, thank you for uh, the warm welcome this morning, and uh, happy Mother's Day to all the moms that are here. Um, we were here about two and a half years ago, I think it was, maybe a little over two years ago, and had a chance to uh, enjoy your warmth of uh, friendship and fellowship at that time, and, and, and it continues. You know, I was talking to uh, uh, Praveen, is it? Um, and uh, during the break, and as I was talking to him, I just suddenly became aware that I was eating a piece of cake, and I have no idea how it got there. <laughs> But somebody put it in my hand. So whoever that was, thank you very much for the cake. I appreciate that uh, very much. So um, I want to take just a, a little bit of time and share with you about the ministry that we are involved in. And, um, and then I want to talk about four moms and a grandmother. Um, and only one of those moms did you mention in your list of ten. I was getting worried because I thought you're going to cover everything, Right. But uh, I want to tell you a little bit about this. Um, so uh, we're involved with, a, with an organization called the Navigators. Have you heard, heard of the Navigators at all, some of you? Yeah? Yeah? So really, the Navigators is a ministry that, that really focuses on, on reaching out and um, making disciples, and particularly making generations of disciples, okay? So we're, we're not looking just to make one disciple and see it end there. We want to disciple someone and then teach them how to make disciples as well. So that's, that's really our focus. Um, we're involved with a cross-cultural ministry team. Many navigators are, are working in cities all across Canada. Our particular focus is in Waterloo um, with, uh, with students there. And what button do I push? Just that? Does that work? There. Okay, yeah. So it's called, our actual ministry is called Chinese-Canadian Friendships. Um, because we're Canadian, and mostly we focus on meeting and ministering to Chinese. Um, and uh, our goals really are to, to love and practically serve the Chinese community, or it says here the Asian community, because it is a little broader. Sometimes we connect with, with some Koreans, and, and more recently we've been connecting with, with other folks as well. I'll explain that in a minute. Um, we want to help individuals come to know Jesus. Right? That's really what we want to do. And we want to encourage generational discipleship. How do we do that? Um, we do it first by building relationships, building good, solid relationships with people. We carry out lots of activities. Um, we do things. Well, this was a bowling night, although you don't see any bowling balls present, but it was actually a bowling night. Um, we do barbecues, we organize uh, trips to places like Niagara Falls or, or, or things like that, and, um, and make those connections and, and, and build relationships with people to the point where they're comfortable when we start to talk about Jesus. One thing that's been working really well for us lately um, is, is uh, 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 conversational ESL classes. Um, last summer, uh, about June or July, I had a couple of moms, Chinese moms, who are here looking after their, their kids who are in, in university, right? And, uh, and so they come and spend time. They take care of all the meals and, and whatnot while the kid goes to, to university. And uh, so they said, you know, we know you hold some ESL classes on Thursday nights at, um, at uh, the University of Waterloo. 
But in the evenings, we want to look after our kids. Does anyone do any ESL classes during the week? And um, I quickly asked a few folks uh, around uh, the chapel that had been involved in doing this in the past, but they were up in their 80s now and really didn't want to do it anymore. And so I just thought, you know, God's telling me something here. And so I said, you know what? I got back to them. I said, you know what? I'll meet with you. Uh, in a coffee shop um, on Thursday afternoons and, and we'll just have some conversational English together. And so we did and after a couple of weeks they said, can we bring a friend? And I said, of course you can. And then a couple of more weeks they said, you know, we got two more friends that want to come and before long we'd outgrown the coffee shop and um, so we started to meet um, on Thursday afternoons in, in the chapel. Um, and then we had seven, and then we had eight, and then we had, before you knew, we had 11 and 12 students. It was getting too many to hold meaningful conversations with. So I said, well, maybe God's telling me to start a second class. So now we now have two classes, one going on Wednesday mornings and Thursday uh, afternoons. Now, it's not a Bible ESL. I know some people get, like to get involved in Bible ESL uh, classes. This one is straight ESL, but, but, if you're talking about Canadian culture, you get lots of opportunities to talk about the Lord, right? There's Christmas, there's um, Thanksgiving, there's Easter, and uh, many, many more things that we can talk about. And folks get interested and then come to our Friday evening investigative Bible study. Um, interestingly, we've had Iranians show up, uh, a couple of Turkish fellows show up, we've had a, a woman from uh, Chile. Uh, recently, we've got a woman from Mexico, and we just had a Korean. And now I'm wondering, is God telling us something else? Um, are we to look beyond <laughs> just the Chinese ministry that we've been, we've been looking at? And, and, and is, is what is, what's God telling us here? Is it something that the, the, that the church needs to pick up and do, or is, is he challenging Kelly and I to do something else? But anyway, that's another story. But conversational ESL, it's a great way to build relationships and do something meaningful for people. Um, we want to lead other people to Jesus. This is one of the two women who asked me to have ESL classes with her. She later became a Christian. Uh, she has now gone back to, to China uh, as, a, as a new believer. I was just talking to her the other day. Um, and uh, so, of course, it's a little different for her back there in China. But we're just so excited that she became a believer while she was here. Um, Isabel, the woman on the right, um, uh, gave her one-on-one -on -one discipleship as well so that she grew in the faith while she was, while she was here. Um, these two girls, uh, they were master's students that we met. Uh, both of them became believers as well. One of them recently just moved to Mississauga, the girl on the left. Um, so I'm going to have to see if we can connect her up with you guys. Um, and uh, Enchi, the girl on the right, interesting story uh, because we're talking about moms a little later. Her mom prayed um, for her when she was, uh, so her mom's a Christian in China, right? And as and she came here to, to Canada, she said, I want you to go to church. I want you uh, to learn about God. And she was praying for her. And then she, uh, during her time here, became a believer and now got a job and is working in Toronto. Um, so we want to encourage generational discipleship as well. So those of them who, who stay with us and get involved uh, in a deeper level with us, then we take them into deeper studies. Uh, we've got one group that are going through the book of Ephesians right now, and there are two other, three other people on the team um, that hold studies in their homes as well. Something else that God has brought to us that we never anticipated when we got involved with us about two and a half years is 
children. Um, because we really initially were reaching out to, to single students. Um, maybe they're working on the master's, maybe they were here working on a PhD or, or whatever. Um, but increasingly, we have seen moms or dads come and bring their child with them and plop their kid in school so that the kid can learn English so that when they go back to China, they got a leg up on the competition, right? Their English is going to be better than their classmates, right? And so more and more we've seen this happen. And when we were first involved in this ministry, if there were one or two children that came along on a Friday night, um, you know, they were usually little toddlers and maybe a mom or a grandma uh, took care of them. But um, this past fall, we started to see five, six, seven, eight kids coming out. And um, it was becoming too much for the one babysitter that we eventually had hired. Um, And uh, at Christmas, when we went to hold our Christmas banquet, uh, we had a registration sheet. And we had 26 kids sign up for our Christmas banquet. And my first thought was, oh, man. This really messes things up. What are we going to do with 26 kids at this Christmas banquet when we really want to connect and, and, and teach the gospel, uh, share the gospel with, their, with, their, with, the, with the moms and dads? What are we going to do with these 26 kids? And then, of course, I gave myself a smack on the head. Well, not when my glasses were there. I gave myself a smack on the head. I said, wait a minute. God's given us 26 kids. This isn't a problem. This is an opportunity. And... Uh, and so we began to, to, to minister to the kids. Kelly on Friday nights now has, regularly has 10 or 12 little Chinese kids. Um, and she has a couple of uh, young Mandarin students who are very fluent in English that will help her and translate because some of the kids have only been here one or two weeks and their English is not yet where it needs to be. And uh, so these kids are learning, uh, learning uh, the gospel as well. And fun things are happening because now we got some parents coming on a Friday night saying, oh, I really don't want to, I didn't want to come this week because I'm so tired. But little Johnny, <laughs> he said, we got to go. We got to go. Kelly's making a craft this week. We're going to do Noah. You know, and, and so they're, they're actually encouraging their parents to come as well, which is, which is kind of cool. So um, I know some of you have been pl- praying for us, and I really appreciate that God is answering prayers in this ministry. We're so, so encouraged. And we just want to ask you to continue to pray for openness to the gospel. Uh, in China right now, their, their latest um, um, leader, um, uh, Xi Jinping, is starting to push back down on the Christians. Uh, and uh, little by little, piece by piece, uh, recently he, he banned the sale of Bibles on the Internet. It was a, it was a loophole that Chinese were using to sell Bibles or, or t- uh, distribute Bibles uh, on the internet, and, and he shut that down. They can't sell Bibles on the internet anymore. So he's sort of pushing down. Uh, how long will, will we have an openness, um, you know, uh, that, that door that's open that God's bringing us these folks to us? I ask you also to pray through a transitional time. I didn't mention in the, in the very first picture we had the, the, the former team leaders, uh, Nuke and Vi Shim, that led our team for many, many years. Um, it's been a very sad story. As, as we went through a transition, as they were looking to retire, Vi went in for an operation last fall um, on her brain, and uh, it looked like everything had, was going well, but when she got home, she quickly developed meningitis, went into a coma, was in a coma for weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, came out of that, was just starting to recover a little bit, the ability to talk, the ability to, to feed herself. She couldn't really walk yet. 
And then um, about two months ago, uh, something tragic happened. She fell over backwards as she went to stand up and smacked her head on the bathroom floor um, and uh, fractured her skull, which caused hemorrhaging in her brain. And two days later, she passed into glory with the Lord. Uh, so it's been a difficult time of transition uh, going, going through this. But these folks planted uh, a great work, which we're just so thankful to be a part of. So as we continue through with this transition, as Kelly and I have been asked to, 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 to provide leadership to the team now, just ask for your support in that and for um, the provision of, of ongoing needs. So four mothers and the grandmothers. Maybe you heard of, of a movie many years ago called Three Men and a Baby. It has nothing to do with three men and a baby, but that sort of just, I thought it was catchy. <laughs> so four mothers and a grandmother. Who are the four mothers and the grandmother? We're going to look quickly at Hannah, Lois and Eunice, that's the mom and the grandmother, and then two unnamed women, the mother of Rufus and uh, a Canaanite woman. And uh, so we're going to honor these women by looking at, 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 at things that they did that were significant and uh, could have... Uh, implications for us today because we can learn from these moms whether you're a mom here today whether you're a dad here today whether you're single um, the, the lessons that we can learn from these women are are, are significant so happy mother's day kelly <laughs> um this is kelly about 30 years ago and our oldest daughter uh holly and um you know Things are transmitted, right? Genetically, you can see something happened here, right? We've got this red hair going on. Holly was asked about the time of this picture when she was asked by, by a man who came by and looked at the mom and looked at the kid, and, she, and he said to, to, to Holly, where did you get your lovely red hair from? And my daughter looked back at him like he was just not too smart. <laughs> and said, from Jesus, of course. <laughs> so it tells me two things. One, DNA works, right? There's a transmission here of, of red hair, right? So there are, there are things that we get from our parents naturally, right? But there are other things that we learn. And even at this young age, Holly was learning about Jesus. And, uh, you know, I give credit to Kelly because from our daughters were very young. She was constantly um, sharing Bible stories with them, singing songs with them. I remember endless trips in cars where cassettes got played again and again and again and again. Um, and, you know, after a while I said, can we, can we listen to something else? But there was this transmission of, um, of uh, Bible knowledge to our daughters from, from an, an early age. And in the same way... Um, that there's, there's this multi-generational thing where there's the DNA, but there's also a spiritual opportunity. Do, do we share with our children and our grandchildren what we have learned? Right? So the Apostle Paul uh, spoke to, in a letter to Timothy, and he spoke about um, Timothy's mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois. He said this, Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day I constantly remember you in prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. 
I remember, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. Do we fan the flames? Paul goes on to say, um, uh, I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you. Do we, do we nurture that in our children and our grandchildren? Um, because it does have an effect from generation to generation. Here was Timothy with his mother sharing um, about God with him and also his grandmother. And I was so pleased that we sang There's Power in the Blood this morning because I have here that I was going to share about my grandmother who used to stand at the sink washing dishes galore after meals that we had there. And I remember her singing, Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood, as she washed those dishes. And for her, that was an act of service. But for me, I also remember what she was singing. What she was doing and what she was saying matched up. Um, and it's no surprise to me that, um, that um, you know, in our family, and I, and I say this not, not to, not to um, um, build up in any way my family, but my grandparents had 10 grandchildren. Two of them became missionaries. One of them uh, serves the Lord full-time in northern Ontario. Uh, three others are active in, in their, their local churches. And I think that this multi-generational legacy is, is part of that, is part of the reason for that. So um, if we have received from our moms and from our grandmothers, we, sh- we, we also then have a responsibility to follow that model and share with our children and our grandchildren and, uh, you know, it, it delights me no end to see Kelly now with our grandchildren sharing those same kind of songs that she shared with our children uh, many years ago. Build into the lives of our children. Timothy was a result, was a result of the efforts um, of his mom and his grandmother. So, then there's mothers who dedicate their children to God. I'm going to move a little quickly here because it's already 10.35, 12.35. Yeah. Um, we got to 12.45, right? Yes. So, mothers who dedicate to their children to God. Um, uh, Vijay has already mentioned Hannah this morning. Hannah was a woman who was childless. But she was a shining example of a mother who was prepared to wholly dedicate her only child to God. Her only child to God even to the extent of entrusting him to the priests in the temple for his upbringing. Could you imagine, right? Now, could you imagine having a child and then bringing it to VG and saying, look after this child and raise him for me, right? Okay. Now, I think it would probably go quite well, right? But from her perspective, to be able to do that and dedicate her life into the service of God is an extraordinary thing. Her prayer was, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. I will give him back to you. What a commitment. What a, what a promise. What, a, what a, an amazing thing to do. 
Hannah's dream for Samuel was that he be totally dedicated to the Lord's service. And while it's not every mother's calling uh, to dedicate their children to serve God in a full-time capacity as a pastor, missionary, or Christian worker in any way, it is their responsibility to make their children aware that whatever path in life they choose, whatever job or career they choose, they should do it in service to God, that their lives should be um, uh, committed to the service of God. Her strength was in entrusting the raising of her child to God and into his service. And as mothers and fathers and grandparents, the question comes back to me and I hope to all of you is, are we prepared, are we prepared to do the same kind of thing? Are we prepared to encourage our children and our grandchildren? Are we prepared to, to pray for them that they would be committed, wholehearted servants of the Lord? Or is there something else in life that we would like to see them do? One of the constant challenges that, that, that we um, uh, see with, with our Chinese friends, uh, particularly the younger ones that are working on their, their master's or their, their undergrad degree, is that they are on a path that their parents have chosen for them. And constantly I hear something like, well, I wanted to pursue architecture, but my dad said the, be the best way to make money right now, the biggest demand is for computer engineers, so you're going to be a computer engineer. End of story, right? And so they dictate the path that their child should be on. And, and we have these, these, these young people that, that I find that are just misfits. They're, they're not where they should be. I had a conversation with one about two weeks ago who she's completed her master's, so she's done six years of training as a computer engineer, and she says, it's not what I want to do at all. I never wanted to be sitting in front of a desk with a computer. I want to be in a, in a job where I interact with people because I'm outgoing, and I don't want to be sitting in front of a computer every day. Can you help me with my resume? Can you help me think through um, what, what, what else I could do, right? Um, as, as parents and as grandparents, we can't dictate what our children should do, but we should be able to encourage them to do whatever they do wholeheartedly in the service of God. We take our children, can we offer them back? Can we offer them back to God and say, here he is, here she is. Let them be a faithful servant of yours. Hannah did. It was a remarkable thing. Surrogate mothers. Now, I know that's not a mom, <laughs> but it does match with the story, so bear with me. Um, this comes from uh, just a... a, a what seems like a, a, a casual, it almost seems like a casual comment in the book of Romans. And in Romans 16 and 13, as Paul goes through a list of about uh, 25 or 26 people that he wants to be greeted, as he goes through this list at the end of his letter, one pops out, it says, Greet Rufus, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own, and also his dear mother, who has been a mother to me. Now, let that sink in a minute. Here's the apostle saying, Rufus needs to be greeted, but also his mom, because she was like a mother to me. Did the great apostle Paul need a mother when he was on his travels? It seems in some way, in some way, um, um, this, this woman was, uh, was um, um, a mother to, to the apostle Paul. Now, who was Rufus? Well, if we go back to Mark chapter 15, we can find the answer to that. 
um, because as Jesus was on the journey to Golgotha, uh, to uh, the, the cross, and he's carrying his cross with him, a passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. And Simon was the father of Alexander and this man Rufus. So once again, there was this multi-generational Christian uh, uh, thing going on uh, where people were obviously passing down what they knew about Jesus, what they learned about Jesus, and they were passing it on. So um, Rufus's mom, who doesn't have a name here in our story but does have a name, <laughs> is a real person who in some way acted as a mother to the Apostle Paul, a surrogate mother. Now, when I say surrogate mothers, maybe the first thing that pops into your mind is those moms that carry, no, I'm not pregnant, those, those moms that carry a baby, right, for someone else. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about in a, in a, spiritual, in a, in a spiritual sense. Wouldn't you just love to know how Rufus had been a mother to Paul? How had uh, Rufus's mom been a mother to Paul? Some believe that she may have attended to Paul's needs during times of sickness and suffering. Because as we know, when we read um, uh, Paul's uh, letters and we, as we read through Acts and so on, we learn that Paul suffered from um, some uh, thorn in his flesh and maybe perhaps other deficiencies and illnesses as well. Maybe, maybe Rufus's mom took care of him in some way. We don't know. We're speculating. But perhaps she did. Could it be that... that um, she provided meals and accommodation to a traveling Paul, and as she, he came through where she lived, she opened her home and said, stay here with me, and I will take care of you. I will make sure you are fed. I will make sure your clothes are washed. I'll make sure you're taken care of. You just go out and minister. Maybe that's what she did. We don't know. Could it be that Paul's parents in some way disowned him when he converted? He was... Um, a very committed Jew, right? I wonder what his parents, if they were still alive, thought of that. And maybe in some way she filled that role. We don't know. Whatever the circumstances, we can be glad that in some way she was a support to Paul. Paul's ministry would have been diminished in some way if it wasn't for Rufus's mom. And think about it. Without knowing it at the time, she became a surrogate mom to one of the most, if not the most influential Christians of all time. She was like a mother to me. What about us? There are many different ways that, that people can be surrogate moms. Maybe you could be challenged to be a mom who becomes a spiritual mentor to a younger Christian who doesn't have a mentor. Maybe you could be a mom who fosters or adopts children that are not your own. Maybe you could be a mom who reaches out to a refugee family that's in great need. I think of a, a woman in our church, um, Sylvia, uh, uh, Sylvia is her name, and um, you know, recently a, a Syrian family moved in next door. And at first she was challenged, do I need to do anything here? Should I do something here? But um, it beca became very obvious that, that, that they needed some help, particularly with English and particularly with communication and, and, and and so on. And recently, she has spent hours and hours and hours with them, trying to take them, uh, taking them around the city, trying, them to, trying to help them find a new rental home. Um, she's a surrogate mom to them. 
Maybe you could be a mom who comes alongside a young person that's struggling in their relationship with their parents and needs some help and some advice. Is there someone in your circle or my circle that needs that kind of attention? Is there someone who needs that kind of care? Surrogate mothers can be a real blessing. Um, we have a, a, a Chinese girl staying with us right now, a boarder. Her name is um, Aurora. And um, Kelly is acting as a surrogate mom to her. <laughs> um, the way that Aurora came to us is really quite astonishing. And we're entirely confident that God is doing something incredible in her life. Um, Aurora was born in, in China about 20 years ago. She's a second child. And you know that China's had a one-child policy for a long, long time. Her parents kept it hidden because they knew that they would, she would be forced to have an abortion. So they kept the pregnancy, the birth secret. They sent the child when she was born out to the countryside to be raised by her grandparents. And she was there until she was about three or four years old and the government found out. And uh, so they were then in, in peril of, of either having to pay a very large fine or uh, losing their job or, or, or some kind of punishment. We're not quite sure what happened, but Aurora came through that and, uh, and got her papers because um, second children in China do not get their papers, so therefore they have no eligibility to education, to health services, or anything. Um, but she uh, uh, received an education, and now she's here in Canada with us. She came here first uh, a little earlier than the, than the university year started to uh, improve her English. She was on a, about a six-week, two-month uh, ESL course that would bring up her level of English. And at the end of that time, she had to move out of, of res residence and find her own apartment. Being perhaps a little naive and perhaps a little bit um, of a procrastinator, <laughs> It wasn't until the last few days that she decided in a panic, I've got to do something about this. I've got to find a place to live, right? So she got off the bus at the Walmart just across from Lincoln Road Chapel where we attend. She thought, I'm going to walk up the street and I'm going to start knocking on doors and find out if anybody would like to take me in as a boarder. The first house she went to, she said, could you take me in as a boarder? The family said, no. But the people next door have taken in students in the past. Why don't you knock on their door? So she went to them, knocked on their door. Um, could you take me in as a boarder? Well, we used to take boarders in the past, but we're not doing it anymore. But maybe somebody at the church might, might do that. Let me ask around. Give me your phone number, and I'll get back to you. So this mom, Crystal, came to uh, Lincoln Road Chapel, where Kelly works as an administrator, and she said, you know, there's this, woman, there's this young woman that's looking for a place to stay, uh, looking for a place to board. Do you know anybody that would take, take her in? And Kelly said, Ray and I were praying last night that God would send us a boarder, a Chinese girl. And so we took in Aurora. Now, I don't know where this is going to end. Aurora, you can be sure, has heard the good news about Jesus, right? And from time to time, she comes with us to the chapel and, and attends some of her events. She's not quite there yet, but she has a... She certainly has a belief in God that, that was not there before. So you can pray for Aurora. Um, I started to tell you that story because, because Kelly has become like a surrogate mom to her now. And for us, it's so cool when we hear us saying, 
can we invite this person to our house? It's not your house, it's our house. So she feels that welcome at home. Kelly's become a surrogate mom to her. It's, it's kind of cool. One last one, we'll do it quickly. Intercessory moms. So this is, uh, this is a story that we find in, in Matthew 15 and 21 to 28. It's about the Canaanite woman who earnestly pleads on her child's behalf. And in Matthew 15, 21 you can, uh, tw- through 28, you can read it later. I'll just pick on a couple of highlights. This Gentile woman comes. She sees Jesus. She says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. His disciples said, Get her away from here. We don't need her around here. She's not. Tell her to go away. The woman tried again, and she was sent away again. And finally she said, Lord, help me. Help me. And Jesus responded, Dear woman, Jesus said to her, Your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. There's a lot we could say about this story, but the key thing is that this Gentile woman who did not know Jesus, who did not know God in the sense that we would think would be necessary, cries out to Jesus on her daughter's behalf, believing that Jesus could do something. And she was persistent. When she was turned away, she did not stop. She came back. When she was turned away again, she did not stop. She came back. She was persistent. And her example gives hope and provides encouragement to all women who pray on behalf of their children. And I'll say all men as well, right? It's an encouraging thing. She continued to pray despite everything seeming to be against her. So you may think this morning that you know you can't pray to Jesus for your son or, or daughter that is, is wayward because they're, they're beyond help. This woman did not let that, let that stop her. I mean, imagine her child was demon-possessed, Right? You would think that she would be beyond help, but no, she comes and she cries out to Jesus. You may think that Jesus is not for you because you have little or no experience with him and, and you're reluctant to, to cry out to him on behalf of your child. This woman did not let that stop her. She cried out to her any, cried out to Jesus anyway. You may think that you have no right to approach Jesus and ask him anything. Maybe you think, I'm too sinful. I don't, I don't have any valid reason to, to approach Jesus and ask him anything. That, did, that woman did not let that stop her. She wasn't a Jewish person. She was a Canaanite. It would seem that she was an outcast as far as uh, the disciples were concerned, and yet she still came to Jesus and asked him. She did not let that stop her. You may think that others will, will judge you or criticize you and tell you that you have no right to approach Jesus because of your background or because of your past or things that have happened. That woman did not let that stop her. She cried out in faith believing that Jesus would, would respond to her prayer, to her earnest, earnest prayer. And it tells us that we should never give up praying for our children and our grandchildren that are in trouble, whether it be health issues, external problems, problems of their own making. Jesus hears and responds to the prayers of faithful mothers and faithful, father, uh, faithful fathers. One last story. It's about a guy called Victor. We met him when we were serving the Lord in, in Ireland. And in the Republic of Ireland, if you remember uh, 25 years ago or so, there was no peace agreement um, in, in Northern Ireland between the, the Catholics and the Protestants, and there were assassinations and bombings and all kinds of things going on, all kinds of troubles. 
And we met this guy, Victor, uh, in Dublin. Victor ha- came from a Protestant background. And as a young man, he had been a gun runner for the UDF. You may have heard of the IRA. They were the Catholics. And the UDF was the Protestant uh, counterparts. He was a gun runner for the, for, the, for the UDF. He drove around with guns in the trunk of his car and uh, delivered them and so on. And one time, one time he, was, he was stopped, he was caught, he was imprisoned. And um, Victor had uh, a godly mother who had been praying for him. And yet here he was now in jail uh, at the end of his rope, it would, would, would appear. He told a harrowing story about, about how when he was in jail, he was, he was in, with, in a cell with a, a group of other um, Protestant guys. And one night, the jail door opened when it shouldn't have. A man came in with a baseball bat, dragged another man out of bed, and beat him on the head until he was very dead. Um, and everybody else in the room, like Victor, cowered in fear that they were going to be in next. And Victor realized to what extent he had dropped, to where, to where he was, that he was there uh, as punishment for his crimes, but in fear for his life and had paid no attention to God. And he remembered that his mom was praying for him and prayed for him continually. And Victor uh, that night turned his, his, his heart over to, to the Lord and received him as, as Savior. And when we met Victor... He was in the south of Ireland witnessing to Catholics. A life totally turned around. Part of that surely was a result of his faithful mom's prayers. So I hope these words will challenge you. I've gone well over time. It's 5-2, so we'll, 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 we'll stop there. And I just want to pray for you guys. Lord, we thank you to, to, uh, today. We thank you for all the different examples that you have in scriptures for us. We thank you for, for these moms in particular that have been mentioned and the various ways in which they served you faithfully and reached out and connected with someone else. And, and Lord, we, just, we thank you that you responded. We thank you that you hear our prayers. We thank you that you help us when we seek to serve other people. We thank you that you bring people into our lives that are open to hearing about you and from you. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who moves us and who is working around us constantly, bringing people to us and um, causing their eyes to be opened. Lord, we ask as, as, as individuals and as a congregation, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be like these women, to find ways in which we can respond to the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives and the lives of those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much.